Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us this day. Amen. This morning, we continue with our summer preaching series, Proverbs and Parables. And a quick word of context before we jump in this morning. Jesus continues to make his way to Jerusalem, teaching and healing and preaching every step of the way. And at this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus is once again in conflict with religious leaders. Even though he's at dinner in one of their homes, he calls them lovers of money to their faces and then launches into parables like the one we'll hear this morning. It's no wonder why those leaders were plotting against him. So let us now listen for a word from the Lord. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was tormented, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side, And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in agony." Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said then, Father, I beg you, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and he may warn them, so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone is risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. My fiance Steve and I have spent the past few Saturdays burning up the interstate a little bit, driving back and forth to see our families. In one of our most recent trips, my mother greeted us with delight and showed me a large pile that she had left on the kitchen table. It was full of memorabilia and keepsakes from my childhood. I suppose I'm now at the place in adulthood where it's time for me to box those things up and take them from my mother's house and store them in my own home. The large pile included lots of exciting things. My first self-published book from third grade that was titled Blue Whale. 
a report card from fifth grade when I realized I wasn't gifted in math. And amongst the stack were four journals. And a red leather journal sparked my interest. You see, this journal made me so excited because I thought I had lost it years ago. I had kept this journal and had recorded my thoughts every summer of high school. The front pages are plastered with bumper stickers. My favorite is a scratch and sniff pickle sticker. And I taped dried flowers reminding me of my travels throughout the pages. It's now filled with what I would call quality sermon material. You see, this journal went with me on four Appalachian Service Project trips, four trips to the Montreat Youth Conference, and two mission trips in Washington, D.C. And I had such an amazing time flipping through the pages because, you see, I've just finished going on two of those trips with our Selwyn youth this summer. Finding these old memories made me think of Andy Bentley, our youth elder, who shared some wonderful advice with the other youth the first night of Montreat. He suggested to his peers that they keep a journal and that they take notes in keynote and in worship during the week because their minds might be opened to new ideas or unfamiliar concepts. Andy, if you're listening, I hope your journal brings you as much joy as mine has many years later. At the Montreat Youth Conference in 2018, I started to write down familiar scripture verses that I planned to memorize. They were all what I would call feel-good verses. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give your desires of the heart. Now may God's hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope and the power of the Holy Spirit. On and on and on. The scriptures in my journal were all about making me feel good as a young Christian. None of the scriptures in this red book were about love of neighbor or justice, right from wrong, God's relationship with the oppressed, and definitely none of them were about money. We all have our favorite scriptures, and I imagine that very few of us would say Luke chapter 16 is our favorite. Our scripture reading this morning is one of the extremes. It's quite remarkable, really. This is Jesus's only parable where a character is given a name. You have the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son, but they're nameless. Here, we have Lazarus, the poor man, and his name means God helps. Lazarus, while poor and hungry, is dignified with a name, even though he's really only paid attention by dogs who lick his sores, while the rich man is left anonymous. Jesus tells us that the generic rich man's wardrobe was royal in color purple, a detail that shows high status, of course. And Jesus ends his description of the rich man by letting us know this isn't a special occasion that we're hearing about but that the rich man feasts like there's no tomorrow every single day of his life. I imagine that Lazarus didn't feel, as his name suggests, God's help as he was covered in sores, and we can imagine too weak to move, waiting for some kind of crumb to fall his way. 
Lazarus would have been more than thrilled with anything from the rich man's table. The end of a bread loaf, a chicken bone, maybe the rind of a melon. Jesus uses a verb here that's commonly used when we talk about the feeding of animals rather than humans. That's how hungry this man was. After showing us this obvious and very difficult to hear contrast of life, Jesus then makes sure that we know that something has changed. Both the rich man and Lazarus have died. The scene changes and we're given extremely contrasting pictures. Jesus gives us a chilling reminder of the vastness of God's eternity. And we see Lazarus no longer alone, but instead being comforted by Abraham and the angels. Finally, living into the reality that his name predicted, God has helped. And we find the rich man in hell, being tormented. And if that were not bad enough, Jesus tells us that the rich man in his agony and in his suffering can look across the way and can see Lazarus but he doesn't see the reversal that's taken place. He still tries to use and take advantage of him. Send him to me so that he might dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony, still demanding, still trying to use Lazarus as a servant. And Abraham refuses on his behalf, of course, reminding the rich man that he has already received his reward. The rich man roasting in a pit of hell was unable to see Lazarus as a human being. He saw Lazarus as less than himself. It's here in our story where I see Jesus pointing us, pointing to us the gap that lies between. Jesus is describing a world that while exaggerated is not far from the world that we know a world where gaps and cracks and division occur, a world where we have servers and those who are served, separation by economic systems and human choices. After Abraham denied the rich man's request, he made sure the rich man realized that the one thing that he had wanted and built for himself all his life had finally come true. The walls and the gates that the rich man had constructed in his human life to keep himself apart from Lazarus and others like him, that gate had now become a permanent barrier between them and death. The rich man got what he asked for, separation from those who did not think or act like him. I told you, this is not scripture that we often memorize or write in our journals. You see, Jesus is telling this story to a group of religious people. And naturally, as a followers of Christ, we ask, why? Was it to shake them into the realities of poverty? Maybe. Was he trying to warn them of wealth and money? The temptation to hoard out of the fear of scarcity? Maybe. Both of those are good options, but what is it? This scripture scares us. It made my stomach sick all week. Why was Jesus teaching these religious people with a parable so harsh? 
when scripture disturbs us and the spirit is present in words that judge, I preach first to myself. These words of judgment that call us to reflect are not words designed or written for a select few, but are words that are written for all of us. As students, this parable does not cut any of us slack. Maybe Jesus wants us to focus on what the rich man didn't have. A sense of we, a feeling of communal responsibility, a determination to love one's neighbor as oneself. I imagine that if we asked the rich man to tell us the Bible passages that he had written in his red journal from the Torah, he probably would have told us a whole lot of verses focused on himself. The Lord blessing him, saving him, loving him, rewarding him, promising him, for his faith primarily served to separate him from others rather than connecting him with others. We know this because the man and his family managed to walk by Lazarus every single day while remaining completely indifferent to what they saw. To the rich man, Lazarus had become part of the scenery outside of his home. He had to step over or walk around him. The rich man doesn't get it. This parable is a true tragedy. The fate of the rich man runs through and affects the actions of his family. And we can imagine his community. A colleague of mine, when I called to say, I got this scripture this week, reminded me that three years before his assassination, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. arrived in Black Mountain, North Carolina, and preached for the Presbyterian Church's annual Christian Action Conference in Anderson Auditorium at Montreat, where I was just three weeks ago. A crowd estimated at almost 3,000 came to hear King's sermon, and he chose to preach this text. Dr. King said the rich man went to hell, not because he was rich, but because he passed by Lazarus every day and never really saw him. He allowed Lazarus to become invisible. Write that in your little red notebook, I told myself when I was listening to parts of the sermon. The rich man doesn't understand. Even in hell, he ignores Moses and the prophets. He ignores Lazarus' humanness, and he asks for mercy and not for forgiveness. He asks for a sip of water and not for life. My dear mentor, Reverend Bob Dunham, says that with any good tragedy, the effect transfers to the audience. We see the tragic flaw in the rich man and recognize our own inability or willingness to hear and to listen to God's word as it finds its way to us. This text calls us to compassion and graciousness and readiness to share all that we have and all that we've been trusted with. The truth is the rich man didn't see Lazarus as a human being, let alone a person who had been created in the image of God just as much as he had. You see, friends, we belong to a faith tradition that explicitly ties us with each other as children of a living God, siblings in Christ. Let us not be foolish and forget that. As difficult and discomforting as this scripture is, 
It has the power to redefine community for all of us. As people who follow God, it's not an option for us to rush past people on the corners outside. Forgetting humanity is not an option. As people who follow God, it's not an option to skip over hard scripture that challenges the way we treat others or the ways that we use our money. Skipping over things that make us uncomfortable is not an option. So, what will it be? Living out of faith that separates us or living out of faith that connects us. Amen.